Nature is brutal, but it's also, it's survived for millions of years. Yeah. You know, and this is the reason why, it's because it, it's smart. Hello, I'm Shannon Paradis. Welcome back, my learners, my laughers, and my leapers. This is season two of Triple L, your number one podcast on health and wellness. On this episode of Learn, Laugh, Leap, local beekeeper Jeff Danke is sharing the buzz on locally sourced honey, and it's pretty sweet. Today, I'm talking to the owner of Minnetonka Gold Honey, Jeff Danke. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Glad to do so, it. So I'm super excited about this topic. Honey, bees, didn't know a whole lot about either before I met you. So I'm really excited to just kind of pick your brain about both. Sounds good. Um, so tell us about Minnetonka Gold Honey and how it came to be for right. starters. I uh, moved up to Minnesota on an IT project about probably going on 13 years. And when I was up here, I visited the state fair and I saw this wall of honey and it was from black molasses, which turns out to be buckwheat honey, all the way through your yellows and golds, all the way to almost water white. And that can be a fireweed uh, honey on the, on the really light kind of clear side. And then I saw a pamphlet on how to take a course at the U or to take a course at the U at the extension school and uh, learned that there's some amazing professors there. One is specific, Marla Spivak who's a leader in entomology in the country, and I took the course. And that was kind of my beginning of Minnetonka Gold. Started with a couple hives in the background. Uh, first completed the weekend course, which anyone can do. It's offered twice a year. And then uh, got a couple of hives, um, filled those hives with some bees in the spring, and off I went. And that was about um, 10 years ago. And now what has it progressed to? So it's progressed to, uh, it's kind of gone in waves with my time because this is a, a side business for me. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of gone in waves. And I've, I've gone as many as 150 to 175 hives up there. This year I'm running about 50 hives. Um, in That's crazy. About f- three locations. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of labor, but it's a labor of love. Yeah, and tell do, me about do. the labor. What does that look like? Well, it's seasonal. I mean, you can imagine with our weather here in the winter, our, our bees do uh, settle down and go quite quiet in the winter and only fly out uh, on occasion. And in the summertime, it's quite busy. And you can have, um, you know, when I'm replacing bees in the spring or caring for ones that overwintered and lived, uh, the spring can be quite busy. And then getting into early summer, uh, it's a lot of checking and monitoring and making sure I'm keeping up with their progress. Like I was just out last week and I've already seen uh, a couple of hives, really strong ones, make a super of honey for me, which is about 25 pounds of honey already. So that is That's amazing. That's considered a super? Yeah, so there's okay. different sizes of boxes. When you see that big file cabinet mm-hmm. of bees or a beehive, that's one beehive with one queen. And that file cabinet or that, that hive has different size boxes on it. And the bottom boxes are typically deeps and they're deeper. And then the top ones are supers, and they're in their um, they're much narrower, and so they're not they're not as heavy. Basically, if if you wanted to work with all deeps, which many beekeepers do, when you're lifting that top box of honey in a in a deep, it can be upwards of 150 pounds. Oh my gosh! Yeah, maybe that's exaggerating a little bit, but a super is about 30 pounds. Okay. So it's it's probably closer to uh, a deep is probably closer to like 75 to 80 pounds. Okay. But it's still heavy. 
And so it's backbreaking. And so what they've done is they've designed smaller boxes so that it's easier to work with. So you took this one class right. in entomology. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's backyard beekeeping really is what okay. it was. Yeah. And how did you come to learn all the stuff that you just said? Uh, when you get passionate about something, like you probably have, yeah. you start doing a lot of reading and research and watching uh, YouTube videos and uh, reading lots of books. Uh, and so that's kind of what I've been doing for the last you know, 10 years. And then you get into forums and now Facebook and it's yeah. just, you know, you can Sky's learn a lot as, as long as you're motivated and passionate about something. That's awesome. Yeah. So from what I understand, there's about 400 species of bees in Minnesota. A native? I, I native. don't know. I yeah, just, so okay. these would be native, okay. yeah, you know, ground bees. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of bees do you have, and what does that mean for taste and texture of honey? Right. So the reason we love honeybees is because they are the only species of bees that actually are great hoarders. They hoard honey in the sense that they make more than they need. So these other species of bees are awesome because they pollinate and some are way more efficient at it than a honeybee. Like uh, they've said a mason bee is, I don't know if the number is correct, but around 10 times more efficient than a honeybee at, at pollination. And so you'll see a lot of mason bee little hives, which are little wooden blocks with, I think it's a, there's a specific size and I don't want to say, but there's a specific size hole that you can drill. And those mason bees love that size and they'll put their young brood and they'll and they'll live in those holes and you can you can buy these online or you can do it yourself and a lot of orchards that's how they they do some of their pollination okay they usually bring in honeybees but they can also augment it with some of these mason bee hives and so the reason we love honeybees is because they hoard honey i mean they make way more than they possibly could use and that's why we have kind of this relationship with them is that if we try to take care of them they usually will provide some honey for us mm -hmm. Um, and that's the majority of yours, or, or it's all of them? That's the only kind of bee I keep, okay. is a, is a uh, Italian, ours, these are Italian, so they come from you know, Europe uh, way back when they were brought over, and they're still bringing genetics over through the universities and, and uh, different groups to bring in new genetics to our, our line of bees in the United States, for studying mostly, but then they do release them for the beekeepers uh, to use. Okay. So, but there are different varieties of bees, like there's a Caucasian bee, there's a Russian bee, there's Asian bees, and, and, and we mostly bring in the European and Russian stock. The Russians are quite advantageous because they, they consume less honey in the winter. When mm -hmm. they're wintering, they keep a smaller um, nest or tight brood uh, cycle there. And so uh, they, they, they tend to, to winter better. And so you'll see a lot of beekeepers using you know, different varieties of bees for different things. So you have, you said 50 colonies? 50 colonies, yeah. And so that's like 50,000? Well, in each hive, you have the uh, population going from early spring where you know, I've purchased most of, uh, 40 out of those 50 I've purchased from other beekeepers who have brought them north to sell. And so those will come anywhere from anywhere from five to ten thousand bees in a nucleus colony. Okay. And those nucleus colonies then have already started. There's a queen in there. She's laying. There's brood ready to hatch. And then by midsummer, that bell curve gets up to you know forty to fifty thousand bees on a really strong colony. Now, not all forty of those are going to reach that. Their health just isn't the same. And so there's techniques of trying to balance that out or 
be a, a vet, if you will, with my with my bees and trying to get them to be a 50,000, 40 to 50,000 population because that's where you're going to make honey. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's one of my objectives is to make some honey off of these of these uh, bees. Tons and tons of bees. Tons and tons of bees. But to make a pound of honey, I shared with you before, yeah. it's two million flower visits. And so you need a huge population of bees in one beehive in order to make a, a good crop of honey. Yeah. That is just insane. It and is insane. They, yeah. These worker bees also have a really interesting story where you said I think a third of their job yeah. is to collect honey. Right. Or it's to collect the, the nectar. It's usually the last job that they have is okay. to collect the nectar. Okay. So talk about their other jobs. So their other jobs, you know, the first job when they when they kind of hatch out would be to clean their room, like any good kid, right? <laughs> you're you're born, and the first thing you're going to do is you're going to clean your room mm -hmm. in this world, and so you do that, and then some of them become nurse bees right away. Um, some of them, over the course of a few days, you know, they need to develop and grow and, and mature a little bit. But they become first cleaners. They, they clean first. And then, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the bee movie, but there's a whole list of things that need to be done. Yeah. And then through these pheromones and chemical connections and language they have with each other, they're able to figure out what needs to be done and who needs to do it. And so it evolves. And so they'll do these jobs for a while and then they might move on to the next. And then the last job they'll do is foraging. And the reason they do that is they're smart. They know that it's a dangerous job. Mm -hmm. They might not come back. There might be a hungry bird out there. There might be uh, a, a, human. a human. There might be some pesticides. There might be something out in our environment that is going to not allow them to come back healthy or not even come back. And so they leave that job until the end. If something were to happen to the hive, they might have an emergency day or something where more people go out and forage because maybe there's an abundance of something and they need it. Mm -hmm. But they will fluctuate that number of forage bees, I've been told. And I've read that that's, they, 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 it kind of fluctuates. How often do you observe their interactions with other bees or the queen? So know? the queen is a very busy worker. Okay. And she is, um, especially to get to 50,000 bees in uh, summer, she has to be laying and recreating her hive every 30 days because a bee lives about 30 days in the summer, a little bit longer, a little bit shorter depending on the bee. But, you know, they, their average life I've, I've read is around 30 days. And so that queen has to recreate her hive every 30 days. And so she is a laying machine. As long as there's pollen and nectar coming in and she is aware of that, then she'll be laying one to two thousand eggs a day. Now, in the early spring, it's probably nobody wants that many. It's kids. probably more in the one thousand range. But as the the resources are coming in, and she has a population to support it, and the temperature is rising, then she can they they, they can support more. And so she'll be up to two thousand eggs a day. So she's surrounded. If you if you ever see a queen on comb, she's usually surrounded by a queen court, and the queen court there oh is gosh. to do everything for her. She is there just to figure out where she's going to lay her next egg, and it will be a fertilized egg or unfertilized egg, depending on if she's wearing a worker or a drone. And she'll have a, a literally bees surrounding her, all looking at her, and attending to any need that she has. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> what, crazy to watch. What is the difference in appearance between the queen and a regular bee? Uh, the queen's quite large. She's engorged and she can't fly. When, Wonder when, why she's carrying so many eggs. Well, she actually, a hive goes through a life cycle and they, they swarm. They're actually creating a new queen. And so they'll actually starve the existing queen. 
and this is all based on chemicals, right? They're, these are chemical pheromone reactions that they're having to each other. They'll starve her down so that she's able to fly again because they've engorged oh her gosh. with so much food and oh. um, nutrients that her, her actually abdomen gets quite large and big. So and she so can't her even system, really fly. so she really can't fly in that state. When she's doing all this work, she cannot fly. Yeah. And she only really flies twice in her life. You know, she really goes out after she hatches um, to mate, and then she'll fly again when, at the end of her, towards the end of her life, when the hive decides that either she's too old or something's happened to her, they want to, they want a new queen. Then she'll fly again. She'll take half the hive with her and leave her anywhere from 10 to 15 daughters behind and those girls will determine who's the new queen oh. and she'll move off and and take uh the old you know she'll take half the hive with her yeah so that okay so there's only that, two there's only two times to buy new queens so she's making girls and then they become this the is what happens queen. in nature this is what would happen in nature that's not how beekeepers typically okay um, so you are buying new queens. you typically either raise your own and then mate them and then replace them and or there's many many methods of doing it but the most um, used method I would say is that either you're purchasing it from someone else who has gone through the process of raising queens making them hatching them out having them go and mate then um, having them start to lay capturing them and then selling them that's kind of the the steps Process. that would happen if you were to purchase a new one. If you were to make your own, you could easily let them swarm off and mm -hmm. but you're losing half your bees. Oh my gosh. Once you lose half your bees, you're you're not going to make honey this year. Yeah. And if that's okay, then hey, that's fine. Yeah. That's okay. You're that maybe that's that's okay. Speaking of, talk about last year. What happened with your honey? Uh, Minnesota last year was quite wet in the spring and then got wet again around 4th of July and the conditions just were not great in my particular areas. Other, some of the other Minnesota beekeepers did okay, but on average last year, it was a poor year for honey. And so because I think it, it rains. Was, it was rain. I think our, our season was also shortened in the spring quite a bit because it was uh, such a late uh, snow we had and the dandelions didn't come out till much later. And so the summer flowers seemed really quite compressed. Everything mm -hmm. was quite quick and compressed and it really made a difference, I think, in my particular case, in my honey crop, uh, was, was down considerably. And did you talk to other beekeepers? And I have heard that from others thing? as well. Yeah. Okay. But there but were other pockets of Minnesota that did fine, because there always is. I mean, this weather is, is you know, pocket-driven. If, if, if your area gets, you know, three inches of rain and the one next to you is only an inch, well, that makes a huge difference. Right. You know, it's a big difference. Yeah. How does Minnesota's climate compare to other states for beekeeping? Like, we're the fourth or fifth on average largest honey producer in the country. Why is that? Uh, just because our environment is set up for producing an abundance of honey in a very short amount of time. Hmm. So California and Florida are probably at the top and then you get the Dakotas are right up there after them um, and then you know Montana can be there, we can be up there, Idaho can as well. So th there's a mix, it depends on the year and the year it kind of depends. And this year you're off to a good start. This year I'm off to a really good start, but yet it's been really wet, and Jeff, so I'm not Jeff sure. Jeff rolled up in his Porsche. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> not so much. It's a lot of but information that our listeners are yeah. probably going, "Whoa, you know, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> look up that fact." This is a lot. Right. Um, I also discovered in some of my research that the bees 
fan. Let's talk about like the honey oh. making process. Okay. Fanning yeah. and the bee dance. Right, yeah. So maybe first the honey and the different honeys that Minnesota has to offer. So honey is definitely driven, is plant driven. And so you'll get a different honey in the early spring, like dandelion and some of the, even creeping Charlie, to some of the early wildflowers that are out there. Mm -hmm. That'll taste very different than a um, fall honey, which is more sunflower and goldenrod driven. And so when they collect this, honey can be in the 30, uh, nectar can be in the 30 plus percent water content meaning there's about 30% water in there, plus or minus, depending on the plant and what it's putting off. Uh, the bees bring that back. They usually pass it to one another, which then is a process that adds enzymes into the honey, and they're, into the they're, nectar. They're catching it on their feet, Well, right? the honey or... they're actually putting into a honey stomach. So they have two no stomachs. Way. They have two stomachs. They got a, a nutritional, typical stomach, and then they got a honey stomach. And so they'll actually take it into their honey stomach and then regurgitate it out back to another. <laughs> it's bee spit. You've heard the old joke that honey okay, is bee spit. Okay. Yes. This was a question from one of the listeners. Okay. Maggie Lafferty, what's up? Yeah, she wanted to know if it was actually bee spit. Well, I mean, it's it's in a sense, yeah, I guess. I mean, because they are they're regurgitating. They're really regurgitating from their, their stomach. stomach. Yeah, they have to be able to carry this nectar back. And so they're, they're um, taking it into their stomachs, their honey stomachs, and then they're, they're regurgitating it back out and passing it to the next bee. It can be passed multiple times, and then it lands into a cell. And then once it gets into a cell, then they're going to continue adding. And they usually differentiate the type of honey. I've seen them differentiate it and put all of the clover in one particular spot, and then they'll put maybe oh. a dandelion in another spot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they're not really mixing it as much. Um, and But usually they're driven that day on one particular thing. Like in the early morning, they'll go out and figure out what's the best source of pollen and honey, mm -hmm. and they'll come back and do the waggle dance that you talked about in the complete darkness and yeah. figure out how to uh, get most of the bees onto, onto that. So that's what the bee dance is about, is trying to attract the other bees' attention. Correct. Hey, I need some help. Come over here. Yeah. So they literally are just wagging their... Well, it, it depends on how vigorous they do their dance, and they interpret that as how good of a source is it. So if they come back super excited, doing that dance multiple times over and over and over and showing their enthusiasm, another bee is over here doing another dance, and it's not as enthusiastic because it knows... <laughs> There's not as much there because they're trying as a hive to collect as much as they can. They're hoarders. Mm -hmm. And so they want to be on the best source of pollen and honey for the day. Yeah. Or nectar. It's a, at that point, it's nectar. Honey and nectar for the day. Excuse me. Pollen and nectar for the day. And this translates to humans, too, because if you're on the wedding dance floor and you're shaking your ass, right. like you're trying to get... You're like, look the, at me. Like, look at me, center right. of attention. I do that at most weddings. Right, yes. So, right. obviously... Trying to bring everybody. Bring it in. Yeah. Look at me. Bring in the crowd. I've got the I've got the info <laughs> works you want. For humans and bees. Right. I've got the info you want. <laughs> you need to be going over here. So bees are actually extremely intelligent. I think so. Yeah. I mean, in order to communicate in complete darkness, they've come up with a system, this waggle dance, that directly locates them based on the sun, where to go, which direction, and about how far. Yeah. That is pretty amazing. In complete darkness. Direction and distance. Yes. Just wagging. Just doing this dance. And you can read about it online. You can go and do watch these videos on YouTube. <laughs> and it explains exactly how they do it. And basically, it's uh, it's based on the sun and the number of turns they make and then which direction oh and how and the vigorous other bees they're dancing. And they get it. And they get it. 
in the darkness. I mean, I don't know if there's little antennas or touching where they can sense this, but it's it's pretty amazing that they actually they get that. That's wild. Yeah, it is pretty wild. So they're an intelligent being. But again, these bees are leaving for 30 days and the next crop is coming on and going. So it's just a super organism that wants to keep itself going. Yeah. It really does. So this is a topic that, and a, a passion of yours, and a topic Can you that you're, yeah, you're really, <laughs> you get excited about. But we want to keep the good stuff flowing. And this honey is delicious. By the way, Jeff brought me a container of it, and it is amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'll thank the bees for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and I, I felt bad after learning that one bee in its lifetime, six, approximately six weeks or so, that it creates about a teaspoon of honey. Okay. And so I'm like, I just feel bad now because I used to douse everything with honey. Well, why wouldn't you? Just use it's it a great more sweetener. conservatively now. Well, you could. Yeah. <laughs> you could. You could. He's like, you should. No. I like um, to make honey lemonade. Oh, nice. My, It's a very easy recipe. One part honey, two parts lemon juice, six parts water. You can't go wrong. Nice. One, two, oh, six. One, two, One, two, six. six. It's Love the it. best summer drink ever. Okay. Put a little bit of... Vodka in there. I mean, yeah, right. for yourself, but I mean, for the kids, lemonade. they love it. One, two, six, and um, you probably don't want to use cold water is the only thing to mix the honey with. Okay. Yeah. So in the conservation topic, yeah. what what can we do as Minnesotans in our own backyards or just throughout the U.S. to save the bees? Yeah. So there's a huge effort on, on how to save the bees, and, and one of it is to get backyard homeowners or um, homeowners to understand in their backyard if they're using products on their flowers is to follow the label. It's that simple. Okay. It, and if you read the label, you'll never find a label that says spray flowers because that's the most vulnerable time of that plant. And the plant is being pollinated by many ground bees, uh, native bees to Minnesota and honey bees and butterflies. And any product you put on during a flowering time is going to pass that back to the insect. And so that's what kills our insects. A lot of our native pollinators or ground bees is, is people using product incorrectly. And I've seen that myself in my own hives. Like I had a bee kill where I'll see a pile of dead bees out in front of my hive. Mm. And I had it uh, tested and, and yep, it came up positive for a product called Seven, which people use on their tomato plants. Oh, and no. it's okay to use on the tomato plants, but not when they're flowering. Right. You can't use it because you have to think about the, the bee. I mean, the bee's going to show up and not know that that product's on there. They take it back. They consume it as, so uh, in a hive, pollen is protein. It's like our meats. It's, mm -hmm. our, it's, it's, it's what they use for protein. And then the carbohydrates are the nectar. And so those are their two sources of food. And if they bring back contaminated food, they'll pack it away, and then they'll start eating it and consuming it on a slow, on a slow basis. Well, this stuff is just deadly to it's them. It's a killer. It's a killer. It's meant to kill. It's, that's what the product is meant to do. Yeah. Right? So can you use non-chemical, you know, something for your backyard that's there's not alternatives. going to hurt? Yeah, them? there's alternatives out there, and you just have to do the research. But I always say follow the label. Mm -hmm. If you follow the label, it's been tested. And now neonicotinoids is another one that really is, is a tough one because for a while there, all the Home Depot plants had it on. And now 98% of the Home Depot plants are not neonicotin neonicotinoid treated. And what, what does is, that mean? Yeah. Neonicotinoid is a systemic pesticide that is meant to kill insects. Mm -hmm. That's its job. And it does a really good job of it. Yeah. And they were using it on some of the plants, or a lot of the plants that they were selling at some of the Home Depots and stuff. And 
luckily that has all changed now. I think everything is safe now at Home Depot. There are certain plants, I think, down in the south that still require it for some reason, but not up here. We don't have to worry about it. Okay. But neonicotinoids are also a, a systemic killer, and, and people were using it on their trees as well. I mean, a lot of these companies will come around and tell you to treat your trees. Well, that product, the, the reason it's so dangerous to bees is because it's systemic, meaning it goes through the whole system, it gets into the leaves, it gets into the flowers, it gets into the pollen. You can't, it's meant to go every part of the plant, mm -hmm. meaning systemic. And, and the drug is created to kill insects. I mean, that's its job, and it does it really well, and it, it doesn't discriminate against bees. It kills them. Mm. Yeah, been proven over and over and over. And Europe is a little bit uh, more aggressive, and they've stopped some of the use of neonicotinoids, and we'll see if that makes a difference over there or not. So read the label, guys. Read the label. And then Just follow the label and use the alternatives. I always like to try to use the alternative things as opposed to using product, but sometimes they don't work. And, and sometimes you have to be more vigilant and you have to be out there in time. But if you're going to use a product, just follow the label. Yeah. And then we also read the article from Minnesota right. offering families living in Minnesota to basically provide your yard for the bees yeah. and, and give it up to the bees so they will reimburse you for any plants that you put in your backyard That's for bees. That's what I've read, yeah. Wildflowers, did they say anything specifically I don't know for the specifics. types of flowers? I think it's going to have to be honey and or pollen producing flowers because a lot okay. of the annuals don't do that. A lot of the annuals you buy are not, I wouldn't say they're not bee friendly because they are, but bees just don't, aren't attracted to them because they don't provide any nutrition for them. Okay. Some of your uh, perennials are much better at that. They, okay. are, they are much more suited for uh, nutritional needs for bees and pollinators alike. Good to know. So, yeah, so if you don't see any bees on your, on your annuals, it's just because bees have found other things that are more delicious, let's say. <laughs> more delicious. I wanted to go back to the honey making process. Yeah. Uh, talking about the transformation from nectar to okay, and adding enzymes. Yeah. To so we were we were talking about the uh, the honey. They bring it back to the hive. They pass it, and then they put it in the cell, and then they begin to fan the hive, which um, begins the the process of making honey because you need to reduce the water from thirty percent down to eighteen percent. Anything above that is not considered honey and it will ferment mm -hmm. and it is not suited for human consumption, but bees are okay with it. Okay. Right? It's almost, you can almost kind of think of it as a kombucha for a bee. Yeah. Right? Nice. I like that. <laughs> but you typically don't find Fermented. it. Fermented. Yeah. But anything under 18 uh, percent is suited for human consumption because it will not ferment now. And we don't know how long honey will last. They've pulled it out of the pyramids and heated it up because it's gone into a crystallized state. Any good honey will crystallize within weeks to months, depending on the sugar content and the ratio of the honey to sugar. So there you go, guys. No expiration date on honey. No expiration date. When it gets hard like a rock, you actually know that you purchased a really good honey because it actually went dormant and it went into a, not dormant, but it went into a crystallized state. Okay. And all you need to do is put it back in a warm bath of water, about 110 degrees I like to do at a time, and then just keep doing that until it goes back to liquid. And the reason okay. I say 110 is because anything above that, you're going to start to kill enzymes in the honey. And you want the enzymes. And you want the enzymes. And you're, you're eating honey it's because of its nutrition. nutritional value. Mm -hmm. It's enzymes and pollen and um, a clean sugar source, I, I like to think of it as. So once they get it down to that below 18%, now they've... Now they'll cap it over. Okay, they will put mean? a wax capping over the top of the honey and they'll close it off. Oh my gosh. And they now have said, 
We are done with that batch. It is it is finished and it is now good forever. And we'll what? consume that when we need it in the winter. So they're making all of this to survive their winters. But they're they're creating an excess of anywhere from 20 to 50 to 100 pounds depending on the hive okay. excess so that's all the stuff that you're taking in battle i'm taking you still that leave enough for them and to i'm eat. leaving enough for them okay. to eat and then they consume that over the winter interesting did yeah. not know that so that that's capping is their signed like signature we are done with this with this particular frame and 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 batch of, of honey oh my gosh yeah. and then how do you bottle it once it's waxed so then we take the honey off the hive and uh, remove all the bees out of there and we take it back and we put it in an extractor and okay. an extractor is a centrifuge and it just spins it and you just need to be in a slightly warm room anywhere from 90 to you know 100 degrees and all of that honey will flow very easily out of the comb um, because the way I do it is I vertically do it um, my, my extractor there's many di different types but uh, my centrifuge, you just put it in there vertically, and then the honey flows to the edges and then down, and then I uh, put it through a very light mesh filter. So I take out wings and things, I like to say. Wings and things. Wings and things, because there ends up being a few uh, particles, especially there's pieces of wax, pollen, and propolis. Propolis oh, is yes. the resin from the trees. Yeah. Right, so you have Do all you of these things. That? I did it one time. Then I heard there's so many heavy metals in there oh, that it kind of discouraged really? me. And so oh, I'm, man, I'm on the fence. I know. I'm, I'm on the fence with it. And I think, and this is talking to one of the professors at the U, and, and she just said, you know, I think there's a lot of heavy metals in there, and I, would, no. I, would, I don't know how much I would consume. Okay. I said I would be careful on, on consuming too much of it and what know about, the source of it. What about royal jelly? Royal jelly is a whole different thing. So just to finish that last piece. So yeah, I put it through a mesh filter. I um, <laughs> take out all wings and things. And then I put it in five-gallon buckets. And then I wait until I get an order from one of my stores. And then I'll bottle it. And so then I'll put it into bottles, put a label on it, and deliver it. Okay. And so that's it. So that's, a, that's that process. Royal jelly. Royal <laughs> jelly is the substance used to feed a young larvae that's going to become a queen. So in the process of making a new hive, or in the process of basically kicking out the old queen, they're gonna make 15, they're gonna make as many queens as they can up to around 15 of healthy, new possible daughters of the old queen. Oh my gosh. And as soon as those are capped over and well-fed with royal jelly, the old queen will take half her hive and leave. <laughs> the first daughter out that hatches out will go kill her 14 sisters. <gasps> no way! Oh yeah. Evil! No, nature is brutal, but <gasps> it has an insurance plan because it has to know who's the strongest and who's the best, and it has to pick the first one out. So they wanna, oh all gosh. of these hopefully are being made in succession and they're all being about equal, but they know that they won't all live. You only want one, you can only have one. And so she'll go around and usually pierce each of the other cells of her sisters to take care of them. How does she stay alive by piercing? Like, once you use your stinger, right? The queen has a unique stinger. She doesn't have a barb on it. And so it can easily go in and come out much like those darn wasps and yellow jackets that continuously Genius. sting you. Right. Wow. So nature is super smart, right? And if one, if the first one didn't make it, I mean, there's all sorts of issues that could happen with a queen cell and, and not fully develop. And so the reason they why make 14 is because it's an insurance policy. They need to have that much insurance to know. And if 
they, they might not make 15. They might make four because they only have resources to make four. Or they might make 10 because they have resources. They want to make as many healthy cells as they can so that one of them will hatch out and be their new queen. And they need to have an insurance policy. They cannot make one and count on one. They have to have more than one. Oh my gosh. I know, right? So, this you know, is... nature is brutal, but it's also, it's survived for millions of years. Yeah. You know, and this is the reason why. It's because it, it's smart. But we're seeing a slow decline of bees. Globally, like no. Time. Globally, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah, globally, so... I think our, our bee population is doing just fine. I think we're having some issues in pocket areas around the country. And we're also having more demand for pollination around the country. I mean, every year they're increasing the number of, of acres of almonds in California for pollination. Mm -hmm. And I think we're around 1.2 million acres right now. And for every acre, you need at least one hive. So you have 1.2 million beehives on the roads in February to go pollinate the almonds. Oh almonds are California's biggest cash crop. And it's, we're the number one largest producer of almonds in the world. Yeah. Nobody makes as many almonds as we do. Do you like almonds? I love them. Okay. Love I them. also feel bad about eating almonds because I know they, they take a lot of water to A lot create. of water. Well, this year to California grow. has way more water than they need. Yeah. Right? So it goes in cycles. Yeah, right. So now you can super feel good dry, about it. Super wet. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mom and I both love Manuka honey from oh, New Zealand. Yeah. Right. And she had a question about the difference between Manuka raw honey. Yes. And I think it has to do with the enzymes and okay. the type of plant that it's coming from. That's Correct. why it's called Manuka. Right. right. Manukas are trees. Yeah. I've walked through a full blooming forest of Manuka trees. How do we get Manuka trees here? Good can, question. Do we have a climate for Manuka trees? Um, so the reason people love Madu Manuka honey, and it's the most expensive one of the mm -hmm. most expensive, massively sold honeys in the world, and it's also mostly knocked off. You have to be very careful when you're buying Manuka that you're buying from a credible source okay. because it's uh, it's such in demand and it's so expensive that people are coming up ways of diluting it Shoot. and making it taste like Manuka what when it's not brand? Manuka. You have to go to one of the brands in New Zealand because that's where it comes from. Can, you can't buy the New Zealand brand on Amazon? You can Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I would go source it from New Zealand and know that I'm buying from somewhere in New Zealand with that brand on it. And I forget some of the brand names, but there are good ones out there. Okay. But just be careful. Man, I Buyer beware. paid way too much for Buyer a bottle beware. that's watered down. No, thir thir 30 bucks is not uncommon for a good quality Manuka honey. Okay. I mean, a per pound, which is crazy. And the reason people like it so much is there's been a lot of studies done on it, and that plant has like a... Uh, a quality in it it's that a, is more wait, medicinal. It's a, it's a it has a higher concentration of methyl glyoxal, which is like a <laughs> hydrogen peroxide, is what I've been told. Okay. Think of it as like a cleaning agent that is like super good internal external for you. Now there are other honeys on the planet because this can't be the only one that is so medicinal, and there but it's just not massively produced like this one. Yeah. You know, I've heard there's some over in Thailand and Asia oh. that they have some plants over there that have a really high content of some of these chemicals in them. Have you thought about buying some of these plants? No, I don't know if they would live in our environment here okay. in Minnesota. New Zealand, uh, way different than Minnesota. Way yeah. different. Yeah. Way different. And you can also find a little pocket of Manuka on the southeast coast of Australia. Okay. They also have some uh, Manuka down there as well. And you've actually walked through these... I walked through, and we went to New Zealand about four years ago, and we walked, and I happened to be there at uh, Christmas time, and they were in full bloom. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, I so couldn't pretty. believe it. It was so pretty, and it smelled just like a jar of Manuka honey. Oh, did you, you just get a jar there? Oh, many. 
suitcases full over As much as I could. Yeah. What's unique about your honey? Well, it's local. Yes. And I'm trying to capture each part of the summer by bottling and taking the honey off in waves so that I'm trying to capture the dandelion honey if mm-hmm. I get it on a certain year. And then uh, comes next, we might have black locust. On occasional years, I have a really good black locust, which makes the best honey lemonade, I think, in the world. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's my favorite. And then we move into clovers and some wildflowers mixed in there. The next is basswood, 4th of July. Last year was a bust because, again, the extreme rain and extreme heat pretty much washed all the flowers off. And so mm. we didn't get any basswood. And basswood is a very fickle tree anyway. It has to be pretty much perfect conditions for it to produce a really good crop. We usually get some, but on, a, on, on some years, I've been told by some beekeepers, you can't keep up. The bees are bringing really? it in so fast. And okay. you're, they're, they're, it, it's crazy. So I'm waiting for that. <laughs> Wait for it. I have, had, actually, I have had some good basswood years, so I, I have had seen some of that. But, um, And then after that, uh, we go back to some more clovers. Then you take a little break there for a few weeks in August. And then comes the – and everything else kind of dries up there a little bit. And then you go into fall, and goldenrod is the is the typical honey in the, in the fall. Okay. If you have pockets of sunflower around you, you might get some of that. But goldenrod is really a, another uh, good – uh, honey plant and that is again fickle based on uh, water content and certain times of the summer as it's growing it has to have enough water and then it can actually produce quite a bit of honey in the fall so there's a lot it's just farming this is right. all weather dependent and seasonal and you ha- it has to just kind of all line up and, and sometimes it's nice though because if one plant doesn't another one will you know, what's good for one isn't good for the other, but then they kind of balance themselves a little bit. So you might not end up getting a real good crop over here, but then goldenrod makes up for it. So you don't I mean? put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, that's very true. You've got to yeah. have a healthy hive all the way through summer to capture maybe what's going to produce that year. Yeah. For someone that might just be starting out in beekeeping or has yeah. a desire to, yeah. do you have any recommendations for Go them? take the U course. Okay. Uh, the, the University of Minnesota School of Extension has an awesome beekeeping weekend course. There's other ones around too. Yeah. There's, there's other ones around. I like that one because you're dealing with the, um, the experts. You know, you get to meet Marla Spivak, who is a thought leader and a researcher and very well respected around the country. She's I mean, the queen bee. She's the queen bee. <laughs> yeah. And, and she has an amazing staff and uh, really great graduate students. And then there's the new bee lab that they built uh, last year or the year before now. And so that's, that's been awesome. Then also the um, Arboretum just put up a, a bee uh, barn. Did and they, they have a whole beautiful exhibit around pollinators and bees. Oh, and cool. that is really something to go check out. Too. Okay. So you I would can... say for those listeners, go, go, go take the U course. Okay. Or go find a course close to you. I know I think there's a club in Stillwater that has one. I think there's another one out here on the western suburbs that has one. But you can find courses that are close to you, even if you're not in the Twin Cities area. There, there yeah. are beekeeping clubs. And then um, <laughs> get, get a mentor. You know, go find yeah. someone that's doing it to, to help out that can provide you a little bit of the learning curve because you'll come out of that, that beekeeping course, whether it be a day or two, and you'll just feel overwhelmed. And then, yeah. and then YouTube is amazing in how much information is out there. Free. Free. Yeah. You just have to be able to sit through some of these things and watch them. <laughs> and there's any topic you want to know of. And, but the other thing else I want to stress is some of those YouTube videos, like everything, it's local. So you have to think about our local climate because what works somewhere else, it might not work right. here. 
And that's why it's good to get a local you know, mentor because then you'll know, especially for wintering, what are your techniques in wintering and how do you do that? Because wintering is my biggest struggle still today. I'm yeah. having a hard time getting my bees living through winter. And mostly it's because of the pests, which are mites, and passing my bees viruses and diseases. It's a struggle. It's not easy. Where do easy. the mites come from? Is it just those, like a winter bug? Nope, those are seasonal. They're, they're around all the time except for in winter. Um, but they, they oh. latch on in the summer. They reproduce uh, during the brood cycle of, of a bee. So they, they at the very last minute, they can tell the chemical pheromone that's giving off when they're just about ready to cap over a baby bee and it goes into its second stage of life, right? Where it's going to uh, spin a cocoon and become a, go from a larvae into a bee. Yeah. And so they jump in just before they cap it over and then they, repro they reproduce in there. And mites are born pregnant, which is kind of crazy. They don't have to mate. So these little girls jump in there. They create a family, usually with one uh, male and two to five girls. And then they, they, they start the whole process again. So if you don't stay up on your mite population, they really go up quickly, especially if you don't treat with some application in spring and early summer. By fall, your, your, your virus load and your mite load is so heavy that by mid-fall, your, your hive is starting to crash. Oh my gosh. Crash meaning But so you die. have to treat them with something that's not going to kill the bees. Correct. Which is also probably problematic. It is, but again, there's, there's about seven or eight applications out there and all have a plus and minus. My favorite, right, favorite one right now, just because the way I apply it, is oxalic acid. It's a organic acid. It's easy on the bees and it's hard on the mites. Because if you don't treat with something, you can try natural beekeeping. I've been there, done that, and I have not been successful with it. Some people are, and that's mostly based on the genetics they're using to combat the mites. And so they, they hope that their, their genetics will groom these mites off and pull them off and keep them at a low level. You never really get rid of them, but they keep the mite load small mm -hmm. so that the bees can flourish. It doesn't impact them. And that's yeah. what we're trying to get to is because these Asian mites, they came from Asia, are now on every continent on the planet. And they've been spread around because at one time we shipped bees all over the world and all the problems get passed around. I mean, we've made a lot of mistakes as humans, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Hawaii is just awful it's an example of what's happened you know i mean there's With hardly any new bird. species coming yeah. in or? yeah i mean the yeah. rats and the mongoose i think the story was they had rats they brought the mongoose and now yeah. all the birds are gone pretty much yep this is kind of another example of how that's happened is that when you ship things globally you're going to pass things globally yeah i mean it's and then that's what happened okay so you can find minnetonka gold honey at gatewood farms at uh galewood <laughs> yeah you can tell I've never been there. <laughs> Which is Galewood an awesome Farms. teaching farm. If you've never been there and you like farmyard kind of stuff, Galewood is an awesome Where is teaching it? farm. So it's just west of Mound. Oh, okay. Yeah, just west of Mound. Again, too far for me. No. Way too far. Right? <laughs> I was like, you're from Mound? Oh my gosh, you drove an right? hour to see oh me? Oh my but god, no, really like 15 is. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just west of Mound, and they have some awesome summer programs for adults and kids. Okay. Um, yeah, they got some cool stuff going on out there. And then Lake Winds, which is my biggest re uh, outlet. So okay. Lake Winds has three locations, Chanhassen, Minnetonka, and Richfield. And then I'm also at the general store. Yes, and, love that store. Um, that's it for right now. Yeah. Are there more places that you're looking to? I've been into? in and out of Excelsior Brewery because we were making honey lemonade there for yeah. a while. But he's really into his sodas right now, and so he's okay. doing that. So that's my locations for now. 
Jeff and I got sidetracked and started talking about bee stings. He said it's pretty much inevitable in his job, but he mentioned that bee venom is beneficial to our health. I figure a little bee venom is probably good for me, you know? <laughs> you know, back in the 20s, it that. was good arthritis medicine back then for osteo. Rheumatoris and osteo yeah. both were used very successfully, according to some books that I've read, for arthritis treatment. I and actually so, just heard a friend talking about um, her friend is going through treatment for Lyme disease. Oh. And she's had 150 bee stings on oh separate occasions to try to treat yeah. the disease, and she's getting better. Bee venom is a very complex um, substance. I mean, that's a whole other video to really cool watch. Is a <laughs> whole the stinger and the muscle that pumps the stinger through the the the, uh, the stinger itself it's like a venom sack that comes out i mean it's just really oh cool gosh. to watch i mean and you can actually see it with your blind eye when you're when you're when you get stung you know you've been stung by a honeybee when the stinger's left behind when the stinger hasn't been left behind it's probably a wasp or, or yellow jacket but you know it's a honeybee because part of their abdomen the lower part comes out which is a muscle a, a sack of venom and the stinger itself and they die from that or in about 15 minutes they die Oh. Yeah, they do. They lose their life. Because and the other, like, wasps and hornets, or I don't they know, do not the die. Thing. They don't die because the stinger stays in. It doesn't have a barb, so it doesn't stay in, and it can come in and out. It's just a big needle. Okay. Just a big needle, where uh, a stinger on a bee is like a fishing hook. It goes in, and it stays in, and it pulls their abdomen out. Oh. Yeah, their lower part. Oh. I know, it's kind of sad. <laughs> Right? You hate to lose your bees. You hate to lose the little guys, yeah. you know, and and but you think, but then you just you thank them for the venom treatment, and <laughs> like, you say, all right, good. you know, you've just no arthritis for me, right? And it's also a natural Botox for all those ladies out there who want no a natural way. Botox process. You can use bee venom. It's used in Chinese therapy, and you can place it wherever you want. I went on you, I was on eBay, and you can buy little boxes of bees. I think specifically for treatments of different type, whether you, it be arthritis. You have to take a live bee. Yeah, you would take a live bee out, and you'd learn how to handle it, and you'd sting yourself in the most, oh. most appropriate place. Now they've made it much easier because they've they've uh, put the creams, they've put the venom in creams today, and so you can go Does buy it, it off still the shelf. Work that way? Yes. Yeah, no people way. say, yeah. So the way to capture this, so there's a whole business now that I thought about doing, which would be capturing bee venom. And basically it's a plate that has a little electrical current on it. And the bees come out and they touch it and it um, stimulates them to Enough deposit to get, the venom. to get the venom but not kill them. Bee venom powder on eBay is w wickedly expensive. Expensive. Yeah. expensive. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm going to try this out. Well, there's some downsides to it. Like it aggravates the hive. And, you oh. know, I'm in a couple residential areas and I'm not sure I want to be having, you know, aggravated <laughs> hives right. on top of just being in a residential neighborhood. I've, I've, I've thought about this, but I'm not 100% I'm not on it. The technology is there. You can do this, and it actually creates collagen in your skin. The reason it works is it actually creates collagen in your skin, and it starts to reproduce some of the skin cells in there, so it gets rid of your wrinkles. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there is bee venom creams out there. Uh, my wife's used them. She likes them. She's tried them. Uh, but it does turn your red, your skin a little bit red. You know that it's working because it, it brightens it up. It like, oh my it, gosh. yeah, it stimulates it. Next time we see Jeff in a photo, he's gonna have his face like all lifted up. Right. <laughs> and yeah. It's bee venom. I can't help myself. I did try. I, I did stick one in my side over here because I'm yeah. 49. I'm getting some wrinkles. Yeah. And and I did notice a difference. No way. I totally noticed it. I did one side and not I the can other. See it now. Not anymore because it's like <laughs> temporary. It doesn't last forever. Well, it's really cool what you're doing, and thank you so much for saving the bees. Trying my best. Yeah, and try Minnetonka Gold Honey. Thanks so much.